Hey, good morning. Thank you so much for being at Rolling Hills Franklin Campus today. My name is Nick Allen. I serve as the discipleship pastor here. Um, and if you're new to the church, then it might seem to you like I am too, because I've spent all of 2018 so far um, at our new location, uh, Rolling Hills Belmont Heights, just on Belmont University campus, um, having a great time. You have probably seen um, uh, an announcement or a promotion or heard some kind of vision cast to you that we're looking for a Belmont 100. Um, and I'm here to tell you that that's going so well and going so strong. We're not at 100 yet. Um, and that's because some of you are sitting here and you just haven't listened. Um, and you need to. <laughs> because we would love to have you continue to pray about what it looks like to join that team, to reach a new part of our community with the message of Jesus. We're just having a great time. And I'm happy to answer any questions that you guys may have um, about the process. But today, because Jeff is on his way to Brazil, I do have the opportunity to be here with you to close out this series called Make Ready. And I'm real excited about this passage of Scripture. Um, like, 32 ounces of coffee in, and that wasn't nearly enough to get me riled up because this is, this is some good stuff. Like today we're going to enter into not one but two chapters of the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32, where we're going to spend the majority of our time, and 33 that we're going to hit on just a bit. But there's a song in here, like a song that reminds us of who God is and tells us what he's done. And I, I want to do a little bit of an experiment. Um, first service crowd, they did great. You guys, I'm like 100% sold on the fact that you're going to do even better, but we're going to do an experiment. My hypothesis is that if I throw out the first part of some song lyrics, then you guys, and by you guys, I mean all of you guys collectively, and if not all of you guys collectively, but surely at least one of you individually could spit back the next lyric to me, right? And you're going to need to do it loud so that I can hear you, okay? So this is a little bit of a test. Um, you're not graded on it. Some of you are getting nervous right now, but here it goes. Eight, six, seven, five. Some of y'all were like, nah, yeah, yeah. Guess you knew that's how it went, right? That's a good one. Okay, so, um, like, here's another one for you. Uh, uh, sweet Caroline. See, it's not even a word. It's just a syllable, and you knew it. That's like most songs, right? Like, they have, like, ten good lyrics, and then a whole bunch of random syllables, like, ah, ah, ah. And you've all of a sudden written a really good song, like one that's a hit that we all, like, recognize and know and could easily. How about this one? All about that bass, about that bass. You knew it, even though you're a little bit embarrassed that you knew it. Like, right here, like, song lyrics are things that sometimes stick with us, and they follow us. And sometimes when you hear a song, it's a reminder of, like, something great in your life. Like, I can't hear Brian Adams' Everything I Do, I Do It For You without, like, mentally eighth-grade slow dancing in my mind. <laughs> like, lots of room for the Holy Spirit, you know? And, like, that's, now I just told you how old I am. That's okay. I'm confident. You can know this. And like whenever I hear The Pretenders um, or anybody that's covered that song on any one of the various like competition singing shows in the last 10 years, um, I'll Stand By You, I'll Stand By You, I'm literally huddled up cap and gown with all of my friends telling them that I'm going to be there forever with them. <laughs> I'm not. Look at pictures, some of their names. Vague reference, but you know, but right then in that moment, I was going to stand by them and they were going to do the same for me. Songs, they, they don't just remind us uh, of great things that are, they tell us stuff about our own lives, right? Um, high school students in the room, they won't understand this, but, but a long time ago, we didn't have flashlights on our phones. Um, and that's because we didn't have phones. Like we would literally take out these tiny little butane devices from our pockets, and when a good song would come on, we would light it and go in there like this. Not very safe. Cell phone's a real good alternative. 
Songs remind us of the times in our lives when some significant things were happening. And then there's the songs where no matter how many times you've heard it throughout your life, you always get the lyrics wrong. You know, like this one, hold me closer, Tony Danza. Like, that's a weird song. And when you finally figured out that the lyric is actually Tiny Dancer, you actually think Tony Danza makes more sense. Like, it doesn't matter. You're going to sing it that way no matter what. There's a song that was kind of popular, I don't know, four or five years ago, and it was maybe part of a movie. Um, and this girl, Anna Kendrick, she's an actress, she was singing, we called it the Cup Song. And she was singing, You're going to miss me by my walk. You're going to miss me by my talk. And my like, then five year old was sitting in the back of the car, and she was saying, Daddy, why does she think we're going to miss her by her taco? That's weird. And, <laughs> That was part of the lyric for her. So like, even when it comes on the radio today, we hear it and we think of tacos and it makes us hungry and then we go eat. <laughs> we have something um, that Moses did not. Um, we have the radio um, and we have our like, mobile devices and we have easily downloadable and accessible songs 24 hours a day, seven days a week, anytime we want them. We can look up lyrics and we can listen to them on repeat without calling a number and waiting in line to be able to make a special request. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Like we can listen to songs anytime we want to, not so much for the Israelites. And you knew that Moses was a rescuer and you knew that he was a miracle worker and you knew that he was a leader, but what you may have not realized along the way that Moses was also a songwriter. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 32, I hope that you have your Bibles and that you're going to turn there or like clue in on a mobile device or even just pay attention to the words as they appear on a screen because we're going to go through a lot of the verses in Deuteronomy chapter 32 today. This is going to feel so much more like a Bible study than it does a sermon, which means you're going to have to interact a little bit. If you've got a pen on your seat or one in your pocketbook or in your pocket, grab it because you may want to underline and write some things along the way because this song is going to tell us something. And we're not just going to start with Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 1. We're actually going to kick it back a verse to understand it exactly what was happening in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 30. It says this, and Moses recited the words of this song. You see, they didn't have lyric sheets. They couldn't Google the song and find out what, he he recited it from memory. He he wrote it and spoke it. And, And so Moses recited the words of this song that we're about to read from beginning to end in the hearing of the whole assembly of Israel. This was a song for everybody. This was a song for every man, woman, boy, and child to know a little bit more about God because they heard the song sung. You see, first, and maybe even foremost, Hebrew songs, it's in your notes today, they served as summaries. Summaries of who God is and also what God has done. And we're gonna break the song into all the different parts this morning, not like verse, chorus, but thematically what was going on in every single section because it tells us something great about God. It reminds us a little bit about who we are and invites us to be more faithful to him. Starting in verse one, here's the song. I'm not gonna sing it. It says, listen, you heavens, and I will speak. Hear, you earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain, and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. If you'll listen, if you'll lean in and listen to the words of our great God spoken through the prophet Moses, it's gonna be a blessing to you. It's gonna be like dew on the grass. It's gonna be refreshment for us. This word is meant to be for our good. And it says, I will proclaim. Verse three, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are, why is he the rock? Here's why. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. These first four verses in Deuteronomy chapter 32, they give to us the character of God. 
the character of God who is a mighty rock. Why is he a mighty rock? Because he's perfect, he's just, he's faithful, he's upright. This is the God that we're talking about today. And I want those verses three and four to describe the worship culture that we have at Rolling Hills, that we are literally coming in together to recognize the great God of the universe for who he is and what his attributes are. And we just wanna praise his name together. The first four verses, they give us the character of God. And then it takes a negative turn and talks about the character of people. You were corrupt and were sinful. But that's not all these verses do because verses five through nine, they give a history of Israel. In fact, verse seven says, remember the days of old. Skip there. Consider the generations long past. Ask your father and he will tell you, your elders, and they will explain to you. It's our history. We're just gonna tell you through this song lyrically so that you can remember it, all the great things that God has done for you in spite of the fact that you are too terrible and you didn't deserve them. It's their national history. And it's a chance for them to know and to remember the great things that God has done. Skip down to verse 10, because we're not just talking about his character. We're not just talking about our history. We're talking about his specific kindness in our lives. Verse 10 says this, In a desert land he found him, in a barren and howling waste. He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. Some of your Bible translations, literally they say, he guarded him as the little man of his eye, the pupil. I'm gonna take care of you. I'm gonna teach you. I'm gonna guard you, shield you, care for you. I invite you in your notes this morning to take your pen and underline all the things in this passage going forward that God literally does for people. Like an eagle, verse 11, that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft. The Lord alone led him. No foreign God was with him. He made him ride on the heights of the land and fed him with the fruit of the fields. He nourished him with honey from the rock. You know, the promised land that God gave Israel was flowing with milk and honey. Not only honey from the rock, but with oil from a flinty crag. And that means, you know, olive trees. They were a source of economy. They were a source of oil for lamps. I mean, it was literally a source of livelihood. And an olive tree, unlike other fruit-bearing trees, could grow on the sides of rocks and cliffs. And God was taking them there to provide for them there. And you can underline all of the specific ways in this passage that God has done for us. He shielded us, cared for us, guarded us, feeds us, leads us, nourishes us. And maybe think to the time in your life when God has done those specific things. Charles Haddon Spurgeon is a guy that lived in the 1800s in England, and so his accent was way better than mine. And he's literally regarded as one of the greatest preachers of all time. And you can read a lot of his sermons online. And he tells a story when preaching Deuteronomy chapter 32, um, this, this bailiff. And I didn't understand bailiff at first. I thought it was a courtroom scene, but it's really not. It's really like property manager. So this property manager had looked at a tenant and decided to raise his rent. The tenant had agreed upon the rent and been able to faithfully pay the rent, but the property manager comes back to him one day and says, we are going to raise the rent. Well, the tenant could no longer afford the rent in the place that he lived, worked. So he writes an appeal and he sends a letter and he begs for the property manager to give him some relief so that he can continue paying the old rent and not the new rent because the new rent was too much. And the guy wouldn't relent and wouldn't allow him to do it. Well, the tenant who can no longer stay there and has to move out has a chance encounter with the actual property owner, not the property manager, but the property owner. And he tells him the story about why he's having to move very respectfully. And the property owner says, why didn't you come to me? And he says, oh, sir, I couldn't come to you. I had to go to the property manager so the property manager could tell me if I was going to be able to have a relief in my... The property owner says, you should have come to me. 
And I say this knowing that Rolling Hills is a very diverse church, a very ecumenical church, and a lot of even former Catholics in the room are coming and they're hearing this story and they're thinking, we go through the priests, we don't talk to God. And you and I have been invited, not by the property manager, but by the property owner to come into his office and discuss the needs that we have in life. It's an invitation to to know him and to be cared for by him. You and I have access, direct access, not praying through anybody else's access, but direct access to the throne room of God because Jesus has made it possible for us to go to him talk to him and understand him and get relief from him, to be shielded by him, cared by him, guarded by him, led by him, fed by him, nourished by him. This is what, this is what God has done for us. These are illustrations of his kindness. You know, you have songs in your life that remind you of great things, those graduation moments, the song that you dance to on your wedding day, but you also have songs in your life that probably remind you of the di- difficult circumstances that you faced. Songs, as soon as you hear them, it reminds you of a season of loss, a season of difficulty, a season of pain. How was God present for you in those moments? What's the song that doesn't just remind you of the good moments in life, but of the difficult moments in life when you didn't think you could make it through if it hadn't been for the the goodness and the kindness and the faithfulness of God blessing you when you didn't deserve it. Scripture continues um, to describe not just God and his character and his kindness, but also us as humanity and our difficulty and our sin. It says in verse 15, Jeshurun, which literally means righteous, and it's another name for Israel. Israel grew fat and kicked. That's kind of offensive a little bit, okay? Um, Don't be be offended. Okay, like Israel grew fat, okay, and kicked. Filled with food, they became heavy and sleek. They abandoned the God who made them and rejected the rock, their savior. They made him jealous with their foreign gods and angered him with their detestable idols. They sacrificed to false gods, which are not God, gods they had not known, gods that had recently appeared, gods your ancestors did not fear. You deserted the rock, that rock who was perfect, just upright and faithful from verses three and four. They deserted him who fathered you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. So the Lord, in verse 19, saw this and rejected them because he was angered by his sons and daughters. I will hide my face from them, he said, and see what their end will be. You wanna go your own way? Fine, have at it, for they are a perverse, verse 20, generation, children who are unfaithful. This whole section on the unfaithfulness of people starts out with them just getting fat on provision, gluttonous, hoarders, like the spoiled kid who always gets his way and doesn't know the difference between right and wrong. That is Israel, my favorite John Piper book ever reminds us that when the whole world is after the finer things in life, you and I are called to redefine what is finer. And we live in a world where we need to constantly be reminded that just because we can afford it does not mean that we should afford it. Because provision, even God's provision, can can, can prevent us from pursuing God's purpose. And when provision, even God's provision, prevents us from pursuing God's purpose, we sin. We sin. And when we sin, God disciplines us. 
It's verses 15 through 38, the gracious discipline of God. And you and I live in a situation where we have access, access to a lot, and the ability to take care of ourselves in a lot of ways. And sometimes the very, the very ways that we're able to take care of ourselves in the community that we live and the way that we thrive and the blessings that we have prevent us from pursuing God's perfect purpose for our lives. And when that happens, it's sin. And in response to sin, God lovingly disciplines us. Verse 23 says, I will heap calamities on them and spend my arrows against them. And it sounds like a terrible verse because why in the world would God give us disaster? Why in the world would God give us problems? Why in the world would it seem like a loving God would punish us? And a lot of people in the world, they ask that question like, why is a God who's good and loving allowing bad things to happen? Why? Well, when you dive a little deeper into that word calamities, in some of your Bible translations it says misfortunes, and some of your Bible translations it says disasters. When you dive deeper into the original meaning of that word, it's the Hebrew word re'ah, which sounds the same and, and just spelled a little bit differently from another Hebrew word re'ah. They have the exact same root. You see, calamity and friend come from the same root word. It's why you can read Proverbs 17, 17, uh, a friend, Reah, loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity, Reah. And so I'm reading these passages of scripture, and I'm, I'm wondering to myself that in the moments in my life when God, in response to my sin, has allowed a calamity or a disaster or a little bit of discipline to enter my life, is it really just a sign that God is my friend? Is he doing me a favor? to remind me of who he is and to summarize his role in my life. Maybe, maybe you struggle with this like I do or maybe this is just therapy for me to come out and tell you this morning, but I have to remind myself, and sometimes I do it often and sometimes not often enough, I have to remind myself that the great God of this universe does not owe me an explanation for the way that he acts and moves in the world. And we live in a collaborative culture, and I, I work in a collaborative office where people are literally partnering together and creatively cooperating all of the time. We work in collaborative workstations, aka cubicles, where we literally have access to one another all the time. We're in the nest. No idea is a bad idea, and we can literally come and partner with one another and help each other in exciting ways, but I need to never forget that just because I'm in a situation where somebody like Anna Townsend may want me to weigh in on her next idea doesn't mean that the great God of this universe needs to do the same. He can literally function without my feedback. He's not threatened by my feedback or opinions, but he doesn't ever need it. He, he doesn't need to consult me before he acts. He doesn't need me to sign off on that expense or clear that date on my calendar. The God of this universe doesn't need me to tell him it's okay for him to do my life the way he wants to do my life. And that's, that's a really good thing because ultimately, what do we know? Skip down to verse 28. He writes, they are a nation without sense. There is no discernment in them. If only they were wise and would understand this and discern what their end will be. God doesn't need to consult me. It would actually be a bad idea if he did because my ideas aren't good ideas. He's better off doing what he wants to do without any consult from me. 
And Jesus rides into Jerusalem. It's in the book of Luke chapter 19 for us in 41 and 42. He rides in Jerusalem and he looks at the city and he literally weeps over it. We have two moments in scripture where Jesus cries and this is one of them. He weeps over the city and he looks at them and says, if you only had known what would bring you peace, if you on this day had only known what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. We, we don't know what's best for us. We, we don't, we're a nation without sense, without discernment. If we were wise and could understand it oh, oh, and discern what our end would be, we need him. Because what do we know? There are theological imperatives here for us. When, when, when God's provision and our ability to take care of ourselves in life keep us from pursuing God's purpose, we sin. But even in our disaster... God is showing us his favor. And what's the favor that he does? What exactly is he doing for us? In verse 36, it says, the Lord will vindicate his people and relent concerning his servants. When he sees that their strength is gone and no one is left slave or free, he will say, now where are their gods, the rock that they took refuge in? Sometimes the great God of this universe looks and says, okay, where's this world that's gonna help you now? The gods who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offerings. Let them rise up. Go ahead. Trust the world. Lean into your own flesh. Lean into your own desires and see where that gets you. Even in those moments of rock bottom, God's doing us a favor because it allows us to see that we're nothing without him. So we hear in verse 39... See now, now at your rock bottom moment, now in the center of your difficulty, now in the middle of your disaster, see now that I myself am he. There is no God besides me. I put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal and no one can deliver out of my hand. God's doing us a favor when he makes the declaration and orders circumstances in our lives to make the declaration of his power and his place in our lives, when you and I figure out that he's it, that's a gift for us. The Babylonian motto explained in Isaiah 47:10, the Babylonian nation that would come and exile God's people and take them to their darkest moment of punishment and disaster and ruin, that motto was, I am and there is none besides me. And it's the motto that the world tells us. You are and there is none besides you. You can do what you want, have what you want, go as far as you want, and nobody can tell you no. And God lovingly and sometimes through discipline reminds us that he is it. There is no one besides him. Moses sings that song as a summary of who God is in their lives, but he also sings that song as a reminder Hebrew songs weren't just summaries, they were also reminders. In verse 45, I love this, it says, when Moses finished reciting all the words to all Israel. I love the idea of Moses finishing, completing the task that God had for him. I, I wanna finish what God started in me. I, I want to complete the task that God has for me. I want us as a church to complete the task that God has for us as a church. I wanna finish strong and, and well. In this moment, Moses finished reciting all the words to all Israel. Then he said to them, take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. Listen to this. They are not just idle words for you. 
Idle means empty. Idle means worthless. They are not empty, worthless words for you. They're not just instructions. They're not just advice. They're not just opportunities. It's not just good stories. They are your life. This word, it's our blood. This word, it's our oxygen. This word, it's the beat of our heart. This isn't just something that we read to make us feel better. This is literally how we live. It says, by them you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Possess is literally the Hebrew word for inherit. And you know what an inheritance is? Something you didn't earn. Something somebody left to you. And the land that they were crossing over to possess was not something that they earned. It wasn't something that they built. It wasn't something that they bought. It wasn't something that they built on their own. It was literally the inheritance of a promise that God had made. And then God does something pretty, pretty special for Moses. He allows him to see it. You see, back in Numbers, uh, Moses sinned, and God said, you're not going to get to go to the land. You're going to lead people to the land, but you're going to die on the edge of it. You don't get to cross over to the side. And in this moment, God does something so gracious and so kind for him. It says in verse 48, on that same day, that day he sung this song, on that same day the Lord told Moses, go up into the Abarim range on Mount Nebo in Moab, across from Jericho, and view Canaan, the land I am giving the Israelites as their own possession. God's grace, even from a distance, allowed Moses to go and see the land. It's a confirmation of his promise. You see, the songs that we look at in Scripture and the songs that we sing in our own lives, they're not just songs that summarize what God has done. They're not just songs that remind us to be faithful to him. They're songs that give us confirmation that God is working in our lives to enact his promise. Hundreds of years of promises that God had been making all the way since Abraham. Hundreds of years of promises that had been carried down to the life of Israel through the prophet Moses. And now, after decades of waiting, God allows Moses to see the land. There are moments in our lives when we need God to confirm his promises just to let us know that he's still working. Just to let us know that he's still there, that he still cares, that he's still guarding, that he's still leading, that he's still providing for us. And it's these songs, these words, these verses that remind us of just how good God is and how he cares for us. Today we're gonna close our service, spoiler alert, you saw it when you came in, um, at, at communion tables. We're gonna literally respond to God by going and partaking of holy communion. And the connection of the tables around this room to the words in this book is mind numbing. You see, Moses had a burning bush. Moses had plagues and pests. Moses had parted waters. Moses had manna from heaven. Moses had water from a rock. Moses had law scribbled on some tablets. Moses had glimpse after glimpse after glimpse of who God is and what he has done and what he would do. And now Moses was given a glimpse of the land. Glimpse after glimpse after glimpse after glimpse of how good God is. And at each and every turn, he was not only leader, he was not only minister, but he blessed the people that were under his care. You see, when Moses was invited to climb up a hill and to look at the land, it wasn't just so Moses could be closer to God. It was so Moses could bless the others around him. He turned around in in chapter 33, verse one, it says, this is the blessing that Moses, the man of God, pronounced on the Israelites 
before his death. He turns around after this one final glimpse of the promises of God and decides that he was gonna be a blessing to others and it's a reminder for us that this moment that we have with God, this worship service that we're assembled in today, the opportunity that we have to study his word, the opportunity that we have to go to these tables and walk out of this room and say, whoa, that song was great, whoa, that moment was great, whoa, that sermon was mediocre, but that's okay because God's word is good. Whoa, everything that we experienced today was so good, but that's not for you. It's for you to take outside of this room and be a blessing to others who are outside of this room so that they get a chance to see the goodness of God's promises too. So Moses starts pronouncing all these blessings. He names the tribes one at a time and gives them a specific word of favor to God. And he closes out the chapter like this in verse 26. There is no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides across the heavens to help you and on the clouds in his majesty. There's no one like him. No one. And then he closes the chapter like this. Blessed are you, Israel, Who is like you, a people saved by the Lord? You know, the only reason that anybody could ever look at us and say, whoa, who is like you is because there is one who is like him. The only reason why we could ever look at Sarah or Laura or Thomas or Kim or Rick or anybody in this room, the only reason that anybody outside of this room could look at someone inside of this room and say, whoa, that's a great life. The only reason why anybody could say, wow, about you is because there is only one of him. And when we understand what he's done and we are reminded to be faithful to him, that's when we have our who is like us, a people saved by the Lord moments. Communion is a do this in remembrance of me kind of moment. It's a summary on a plate of the sacrifice that God made for us. That, that, that cracker, broken, is the body of Christ. That juice poured is his blood shed. And we come to a table and we get a Hebrew song. You see, these elements are a summary of what Jesus did for us. And then they're a reminder about how we live sacrificially for him. Because this glimpse of God that we receive today is an invitation to go out and be a blessing to others in response. Moses climbed a hill, just him and the Lord. He caught a glimpse and then he was a blessing. You and I come to a table, just you and the Lord. You catch a glimpse, but it's so you can go out and be a blessing. These songs that we sing they're they are summaries for us about how good God is. And they are reminders to us about what it means for us to be faithful to him and to him alone. We've been invited during this series to, to make ready our lives. What are we getting ready for? Well, we're getting ready for a lot. One, we're getting ready for Jesus Christ to come back. But in the meantime, we ought to be getting ready for all the work he wants us to finish before. Every glimpse that we catch of God, every opportunity that we have to see him is an invitation and an instruction to go out and live lives of blessing so that other people can see him too. 
Oh, and when they do, they'll be blown away by your life and your story, the powerful testimony of the way that God has rescued you and loved you and cared for you and provided for you. And then they'll say, well, man, they're just a dirty, rotten sinner too. And that'll make them want to know God even more because they'll see the way that God has loved you and cared for you and provided for you and led you and nourished you in spite of you. And all of the wow of you will wear off. And the only thing that'll be left is that there's only one of him and he's all we got and all we need and all we should ever want because he's kind. Because even when he disciplines us, he's doing us a favor. It's so we can know him better and bless others more. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful for your word. And we wanna know today, God, what's, what's the song that our life sings? What's the promise that you're confirming through your word today? In what ways can we go out there and represent you and and your truth to the community around us? Because we've had a glimpse of Jesus. As we come to these tables, God, we pray that you would do what you always do. Forgive us of our failures. Lead us into deeper moments where we can distraction-free see Jesus. And God, when we see just what you've done for us, send us out to be a blessing to others so that they can see it too. We take these elements today, God, as a a powerful summary, a, a symbol of what Jesus gave up for us. And also a reminder of just what we might need to give up so that others can know you too. In the name of Jesus, we pray today. Amen.